odd job in the middle of the the, the mountains or, or the jungle c- could lead on to more problems with infection because you haven't spent enough time cleaning uh, and dressing it. So yeah, treat the environment, bothies before bandages. Um, a quick fix, will that work? Welcome back to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast with myself, Owen Walker. In this episode, we're going to look at the principles of minor wound care with Ben Cooper. So what I want to do in the conversation is look at some of the principles of minor wound care that are universally important, regardless of location or environment. We'll look at the aspects of wound care when managing cold injuries, minor burns, minor incised wounds, fungal infections, minor cellulitic infections, abrasions, and much more. So joining me is Ben Cooper. Ben is a senior charge nurse based in Sheffield, and he's also an expedition medic and World Extreme Medicine faculty member. He's also a long-standing search and rescue instructor and member as well. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Good evening. How are you? Good. I'm good, thanks. Good to uh, good to catch up with you again. I wonder if we could just kick off, Ben, with just firstly getting you to speak to the some general principles of good minor wound care. Um, good. So basically, stop the bleed. Um, wound assessment. Where is the wound? What caused it? I sort of go down a, a sort of approach of sort of a look, feel, move. Is any swelling, any bruising, any deformity, any heat, size, wound, and depth of wound. Um, and then on to wound cleaning. Um, and then obviously solution to pollution is dilution. Um, I did a bit of pressure behind that wound cleaning and appropriate dressing, um, which all again depends on where we are in the world, what we've got with us, um, antibiotic use, rivaxis or tetanus, um, and, uh, and a timely dressing change. Um, I've... With having sort of the expedition head on a lot of the time, um, and from the expedition world, it's all these principles are very good. However, but in the expedition world, it's like where are you? We're talking minor injuries, so do we need to do something there and then? Can we just apply a dressing and move on to a more appropriate place, a base camp, a hotel? a somewhere in the middle of the jungle where's the next camp if we're on a um say on a base camp trek um where's the next tea house do we have to do something about it there and then um can we just say just put a bandage on it and basically move on um to somewhere where we've got more appropriate lighting more potentially running water and just a bit more time that we're not rushing around to it to and potentially slowing the group down um when it sort of involves potential of group dynamics human factors and things like that where are we in somewhere dangerous how long is it going to take to actually have got a large wound to clean it and close it properly rather than let's put a bandage on it move on um and again if from an expedition point of view preparing an environment you, we need to it's been essentially clean a surface, clean the back of a Land Rover, preparing a, a sterile field around us to do an appropriate dressing rather than getting on with it and, and rushing the job. And when we rush the job, we tend to potentially make the job worse. So things like good lighting, head, good head torch, clean environment, um, preparing your medical kit for the procedure that we're about to undertake um jamie patterson and i talk about uh bothies before bandages so if my background is a lot it's it's cold and polar and mountainous so putting a group shelter up preparing it so the casualty has or your patient has a warmer environment your kit's not you open your med kit and it's and on the uh in scotland in the middle of winter it's just going to get blown everywhere covered in snow so control the environment win the environment and um we've got you potentially got bought yourself a more comfortable place to actually do an, a, a correct wound assessment and a better closure rather than sort of bodging the job that potentially could a bodge job in the middle of the the, the mountains or, or the jungle could, could lead on to more problems with infection because you haven't spent enough time cleaning uh, and dressing it so yeah, treat the environment, bothies before bandages, 
Um, a quick fix, will that work? Um, I say pain relief, yes or no? And let's say documentation, size, appearance, mechanism of injury, things that you're doing in, at, at work, you document like you would uh, say in, in your hospital environment with OBS and allergies, uh, immunizations, etc. So, yeah, we've got a bit of a, uh, a long answer to a really simple question, but I think the the key thing is it's, we're talking minor injuries, so let's not we don't have to rush into something that potentially could, if you're with a big group, slow the group down. And um, finishing a day in daylight is always better than finishing it in dark. If you've had to stop for an hour to potentially sort out a quite a nasty wound. So then, I, what I'm getting there really is it is about the fundamentals. It's doing the basics well. And, uh, and just like you said, making sure you factored in the time to, for appropriate wound cleaning and assessment, uh, before you dress a wound with a clean dressing. Um, so we're going to get, I'm going to get you to speak to preventative care, but before I do, just because you made some fundamental points around paying attention to the basics, could I get you to tell the, the, the principles of, of minor cold injury treatments, maybe even indeed through the the thumb story, um, if possible, and just attention to detail, um, because that 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 story really typifies if 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 the people on expedition don't pay attention to their minor injuries, they can really exponentially um, become uncontrolled. So this was a story when I was working in Antarctica of a, uh, a guided group that was climbing, that was ski touring up uh, the Mount Vincent, which is the highest mountain in, in on the continent. And uh, there was a, a group as a guide, and uh, he had a, an elderly client and a, and a younger and, and four or five younger clients. And the elderly client was at the back of, of the group, and they were skinning up um, to one of the base camps. And this guy at the back had a had a problem with his bindings, and he tried to adjust them with a pen knife that didn't have a locking mechanism on it. And as he was trying to adjust his bindings on his skis with this knife, um, the blade flicked back and cut his thumb. So quite a simple cut that a simple dressing applied and a bit of pressure would have would have would have stopped the bleed. Um, and a, a simple elastoplast would have would have done the job, um, but this guy was worried that he was at the back of the group. He was slowing them down, and so he um, basically he he had a, a down mitt on, and he got a handkerchief out of his pocket or some tissues out of his pocket, and just put the uh, the tissue on the on on the cut on his thumb, and put it back into the down mitt. Now, in, in a normal environment, that that would have potentially worked of just stopping the bleeding but he hadn't controlled the bleeding fully and the the, the the bleeding continued now he had a down mitt on and the blood um that was absorbed by the down and the down got wet the the down then froze and he lost the insulation properties of the the the, the, the thumb on his mitt so when he then got to base camp, he took his glove off um, and this tissue was sort of stuck um, to his thumb. And when he re- managed to remove the tissue, he'd, he'd got a frostbitten thumb. Now, th- at that point, he'd spent sort of, I can't remember what the, t- the price was at the time, probably thirty-five, forty thousand dollars $40,000 on this trip to Antarctica to climb the highest mountain. And his guide said, look, you're not going any further. You've got a frostbitten thumb. And uh, so he ended up coming back down the mountain the fo- uh, the following day. Um, but it was just a simple thing that a a, a one pound dressing p- p- could have saved him a for thirty five sort of nearly thirty five thousand pound trip. Um, but this guy was just sort of worried about being slow. So there's the group group dynamics again, the human factors, the environmental damage um of, of, of being in a, in, a, in a tricky place at the time when it happened but by not stopping the bleeding and dressing the wound even with a simple dressing 
would have prevented this chap from coming back the following year, having had a, a small amputation to his thumb to remove the frostbite and spending another £35,000, uh, really. So there was just that, 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 that simple basic principle of stop the bleed. Yeah, we they could have sutured the wound later on when they got back to base camp. But at the time, the this, this simple principles of not stopping the bleed wasn't met. Got a wet thumb, led to frostbite, led to a, a small amputation and how and came back the following year. So, yeah, £70,000 worth of trips for the sake of a pound. Yeah, when when you put it that way, it's um, it's it really does hammer home the adage of of good basic wound care uh, because the second and third order effects are profound. And but so, could, could you speak to preventative care, Ben? And you know where my mind goes with preventative care is you know hot spots, you know preventing blisters, but also dehydration and indeed um other aspects of minor sunburn and uh and, and wound infection could, could you speak to uh, preventative care from your thoughts going so in self-care avoidance um i think the right equipment for the job like say down in antarctica the the, the sun is 24 7 sun cream it goes on all the time and, and a high factor sun cream but the simple things that you don't realize that you're skiing along with your mouth open because you're breathing in through your nose out through your mouth the sun reflects off the snow so you end up getting sunburn in the roof of your mouth you get sunburn up into your nostrils so sticking sun cream on the end of your on the end of your finger and sticking it up your nose is one thing but wearing a buff will prevent the the sun from um burning the roof of your mouth from the, from the reflection of, of, of the snow um you i mean you can't put sun cream inside your mouth it's it's just one of those things it, but unless you've been there and seen the 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 damage that this caused i mean i think there's a sort of factor the other day that 80 percent or something of swiss mountain guides have some form of facial cancer because they spend their summers on glaciers in the mountains the high mountains and they spend their winters on 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 skis in there with, with the snow being reflected, some being reflected off the snow. So it's reflect off the snow in the winter and off the glaciers in the summer. Um, so high factor sun cream. Um, say the, the correct equipment for the job. Going back to that chat with the with a knife is having making sure that your your Leatherman multi tool your pen knife has a locking mechanism on it. Um, correct footwear. I mean uh, with I've been there, done that sort of, uh, bought a new pair of boots, thought I'd broken them in, spent a lot of time in, in, in the mountains and ended up with horrific blisters. Um, it's, it's, yeah, buying the, buying the right kit for the job and spending time use, learning how to use it. Um, a, a simple thing that a leather work glove, if you're working in a jungle environment, you're working with um tools equipment that just protect your fingers helm ppe in, in a way helmet goggles sunglasses um the correct clothing to pretend to keep you warm keep you dry i mean stopping if you're tired resting make sure you're hydrated I mean, like, like the old phrase a happy mountaineer likes to pee clear you know, I mean, are we hydrated enough um, are we getting the right food? Um, but also, like I say, going back to the, the right equipment for, a, for the for the right job. I was doing some teaching uh, for, a, for a joint friend of ours and uh, some of his colleagues, and they were um, there was a, I got shown some photographs of this horrific toe injury, and I said, "Well, what's caused that?" And he said, it's "Some heavy um, some heavy boxes." And I said, "Well, what happened?" He said, "Well, the the, the the during the day the, the the chaps were all wearing boots and then there was some downtime and then they suddenly got asked to do something very quickly um and they were moving these heavy boxes um with, with, one was wearing a pair of flip-flops and he dropped the box and it put it really much it it, it uh avulsed the toenail it partially amputated the the the, the the, the the terminal phalanx of, of of the toe and this would have potentially been 
have stopped by having the right footwear on at the time. So when we sometimes we switch off from the environment that we're in to then go into our sort of our um, downtime and our brains sort of turn off a little bit. And that's when we potentially can get caught out. And there's a classic is people will spend a day in the with a pair of mountain boots on they finish the day off and they put uh, take the, the boots off, take the socks off and put a pair of flip-flops on and end up getting sunburnt feet because they haven't, they didn't think about putting sun cream on the feet. It's uh, with fuel, for example, um, a really easy way of getting frostbite in, in, the, in super cold environments is, is, is fuel spillage on hands. So if you're pouring fuel from your bottles into your, from your, into your stove or trying to fix your stove and you get fuel on your fingers in that in a minus or 20 environment that will speed up the chance of you getting frostbite so um i think there's a guy who passed away now he ended up in a um, terrible accident in greenland a guy called dixie dancer and he talks about wearing marigolds having a pair of marigolds in your fuels in your stove bags basically um, so that you don't end up, you, so you put them on when you're working with fuel just to protect your fingers um, so they don't get fuel on them, which then gets cold if you're um, exposed to the, to the wind um, and then and spentulates you the chance of you getting frostbite. Getting um, into jungle environments, being tired um, and using a machete and slipping and just end up chopping through stuff and end up with a sort of lower leg wound. And it's having that sort of 10 minutes on breaking trail, then swap breaking trail and someone else breaks trail. So everyone is constantly in a rotation that not one person is constantly slashing through and then getting tired slips. And then with it ends up with a sort of a large machete wound. So Ben, just looking at some of the principles of good minor burn care. So you've already spoken to just being mindful of uh, of sort of occult or hidden UV light. So just when you're not suspecting it, or indeed where not to put your guard down. But could you speak to, like you said, there's there's a lot on expedition around just minor burns when dealing with stoves or dealing with hot water or food. Could you could you speak to some of the principles there? I think the um, the, the difficult one, well the the, the, easy, the easy answer with burns is basically thirty minutes of cooling water. So as soon as the burn happens, into cold water immediately, and cold water can become painful. So if there's a if you can change the temperature of the water a little bit into more tepid, and then we're going to put it under for for a minimum of thirty minutes, and that runs up to three hours post burn. So if you refer a burns patient to the, the burns team, they will want it to have had 30 minutes of cooling. Even if the burn happened two and a half hours ago, they still want that 30 minutes of cooling, um, which is great. And then you can put, put some cling film around it, oral analgesia, um, and, and and then go to hospital if it needs hospital. But I think if I'm saying an environment in, in the sort of expedition world, um, where are you going to potentially have you got a lot of cold water? Most people will have a litre of water bottle with them. So you're going to pour that onto it. That's going to get it cold to start with, but it's not it's not spending 30 minutes in cold water. So burns be, potentially become more difficult because you want that ideally 30 minutes of running water unless you base unless you can basically submerge the burn in a in, in, in a a pan of cold water um so having some burns dressings are probably people tend to carry cling film but maybe not burns dressings in and sort of yeah yeah there are burns dressings on the market the, the significant burns you've got to worry about the patient then getting cold um and, and hypothermic um but in generally it's you it's having that water source to cool down and and, and maybe you just have to pour a liter of water into a into a pan or empty a hot pan that's got hot water in it 
away, fill it full of cold water and just submerge the the the, the, the fingers, the toes, whatever's whatever's being burned. Um, but it's the, uh, the common things are common, and you don't things that tend to have burns that tend to be finger ends and being able to dress a wound on a finger with they say atrimin or a or ergotule again it depends what you've got in your med kit um but some of the burns dressings are very good at quickly cooling and leaving on for a longer period of time um there was a recent only in the last month i think up in scotland there was a uh, a bothy uh, sort of small mountain um hut that there was a uh, several people inside of it and one of them had a problem with the stove and they tried to change the gas or they didn't put the gas stove together properly and there was a slight leak they didn't realize and when they when they lit the gas the, the whole stove just exploded um and created only minor burns to those who are trying to lift it and throw it out of the um out of the out of the hut but again t- potential for the gas canisters to explode is quite significant and that could potentially cause more sort of catastrophic injuries that have gone from a burn to a sort of a hemorrhage control um situation but in general 30 minutes of cool water wrapping cling film um, I tend to carry a small, you can get them on eBay actually, they're about sort of four inches long, a roll of cling film that, and there's probably about 100 meters on it, but you can use them for burns. But also, if you've wanted to splint someone's legs together and make them one unit, because it's easier to shift one unit rather than having flailing legs, it becomes a secondary bandage really you can splint it around the thighs splint around the lower legs you can make a sling out of it so it's 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 easy it's got many uses and, and from say an expedition point of view you want to be carrying stuff that has the potential i guess it burns to the fingers for example using a sandwich bag putting a hand in it with a bit of say a bit of water in a, in a sandwich bag and bandaging it around their arm and that's what i say on a burns unit would have burns bags you haven't. You might not have a sterile burns bag with you on your med kit. Why would you? Why not just use an IKEA sandwich bag or a Tesco sandwich bag? It's there. Put some water in it. We'll do the same job. So it's just improvising at times, adapting and overcoming the the problem. Ben, could you speak to incised wounds and some of the principles you you look at when you assess? Um, incised wounds and indeed when you treat clean and close incised wounds so incised wound is a, a wound that's been caused by a, a blade and again it's it, the first principle is always like stop the bleed um what stop the bleed and that may involve your say potential of the the bigger the fancier dressings out there the, the cellox um gauze the cellox roll uh, the cellox powder um, but again, if we're talking minor stuff, then there's it just just apply digital pressure, um, stop the bleed, um, and then once you've stopped the bleed, work out an, an assessment of the wound. How deep is it? Can we see the base of the wound? Now it depends on your skill set, what you've done as a junior doctor or a paramedic or an advanced nurse practitioner to what level of skills you've got do you feel confident in actually see what 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 can we see in this wound is there any deep structures involved is any tendon damage um if there is we just need to pack the wound put a dressing around it and move that person out to a more to a better place to get the, the correct treatment or if you're quite confident in the fact that there's been no there's no deep structure damage, have you got the the, the skill set to, to put some deep sutures in there, or does it just need a couple of sutures on top or some stereo strips? Um, but in general, that comes with a good assessment, size, depth, structures involved. Um, have we got a good light to make sure we can actually see the base of, of the wound? And if we haven't got 
we haven't got the skill set, then packing the wound, um, keeping it, that wound moist, potentially using a, a Sam splint to bandage it. If it's a wound to the hand, um, makes it rings have been removed. There's that to be talk about what's called the Edinburgh position, where the hand is held in sort of extension um, at the wrist, where so the fingers are slightly curved, and using a Sam splint to you keep the it keeps the tendons in maximum length and bandaging it on, elevating it up and moving out to somewhere where we can get a, a better better management. I think say hand injuries are the biggest payout in sort of legal fees when it comes to hospitals. And I think for, for me, what keeps me safe in my practice at work should keep me safe in the expedition world i'm not going to start doing tendon damage surgery i don't do it at work so why would i do it out in the field and if in doubt ship them out absolutely absolutely could you speak to fungal infections because that seems to be quite commonplace on expedition um, such as athlete's foot and and others could you speak to some of the salient treatment principles i think the um from what we see down in Antarctica, foot care is clean, clean footwear, dry footwear, using foot powder, but also taking your boots apart at night and then airing them in your, in your tent. So you've got to the following day, you're putting on dry socks, dry footwear, but every evening you are putting foot powder, making sure you, your feet get some fresh air in the tent, putting some foot powder on them, getting amongst the, um, amongst the web spaces um and having but also thinking lots of put med kits together are thinking of the it's not all about the cabc you a lot of the the problems are that if we don't treat the simple things like this they get bigger they get worse and worse and worse um so i say carrying foot powder carrying antifungal cream um, and uh, so that part of that, I don't know, it's a military thing of if you, if you, ca- you look after your feet, basically, because your feet carry you, the, the, whether you're running, you're skiing, you're cycling, the feet um, are, are, are an important tool. Um, make sure your toenails are cut short. Um, but in general, it's, it's a, that methodical, at the end of the day, taking your socks off cleaning your feet, putting some powder on, make sure you, if you go to bed with socks on, you, you go to bed with dry socks, you put your wet socks in the roof of your tent so they dry out or outside on it, under your basher or something like that, just so you, the following day you're putting on dry kit. Now, I mean, boots, leather boots take a lot of time to, to dry off, but re- simply by removing the footbeds, holding them upside down and allowing warm air to get inside of them. Again, if you're in the jungle, banging them out in the morning to make sure there's nothing has decided to take habitation inside your, inside your boots. Um, it's really common, these kind of things in adventure races where you don't have time. Um, I remember you sending me a picture of a chap's foot from the jungle and it looked like someone had basically got three crumpets and stuck them on the sole of his foot and then that just it's as adventure races you're going from a to b fast and you haven't got time to stop and treat your feet if you are if you're in the winning teams you are going to keep going whereas others if you've got some a period of of like a, a base camp or a, a stopping point some people will have as next a spare pair of trainers or or um, some spare, spare footwear, a dry set of socks, some foot stuff, and then they start the next section with dry kit. But if you're on a on a polar travel, you're not going to have a spare set of boots. It's it's having that routine that at the end of the day, I must, I've got to be bothered to do this. And if you're not bothered, then that's when you're going to get caught out and. A fungal infection will lead to potentially a cellulitic foot problem that's that's going to potentially lead on to breaking into your antibiotics that could potentially then break into 
as potential sepsis that when you are halfway to the South Pole, that becomes a major rescue. In the middle of a jungle, it becomes a major rescue. In the, in the mountains, it's a it's all things to consider is weather and with all these things that we're discussing weather evacuation where are we where's the where's 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 help and how can we get help it's all right calling a helicopter in a jungle but if the helicopter hasn't got no winch facility then the helicopter's a helicopter you're just going to wave at it absolutely to that point ben and just like you said it's it's around doing the basics well but also their preventative care um to stop the sequelae of the of the injury um becoming becoming bigger but just to your point around infection actually so just looking at localized infection with erythema and reddening could you maybe speak to what you're looking to rule out and what are some of the general principles of localized swelling that you would be mindful of when assessing uh, a wound so with infection we're looking for you, you a worst case scenario is always sort of sepsis but in general heat swelling pain redness temperature ascending lymphangitis so it's the simple the simple like a red has someone got like a red pen and drawn it from the wound up their arm up the leg um and sometimes, again, in bad light, you might not spot it. So having a good a good torch, um, good examination, um, is there any pus coming from a wound? Is there a foreign body in there? Um, have you put the foreign body in, i.e. having closed it with a suture? Do we need to release, release that suture? Um, is there a range of movement in the joint? Has the joint suddenly stopped moving as much as it? It has done um, antibiotics. Do we start them early? Do we need oral? Do we need IV? Again, that these are things that we need to, when putting your med kit together, you need to think about where we are, what we've got. If you've got oral antibiotics, then we, yeah, we've got great. We need, we've got tablets. If we've got IV antibiotics, then we need to carry cannulas. We need to carry, and and say some of these things that involve weight. And when you are racing to the South Pole to beat records, adventure races, you're not going to be carrying a tourniquet, a cannula, a wound clean, skin prep, cannula, cannula dressing, 10 mil syringes, flush to, to mix the antibiotics, again, things to consider. Um, I carry a, a, a Sharpie pen. So we, if, if, are you, are you suspicious? Do you suspect an infection around a wound? Do we treat antibiotics there and then, or do we get a sharpie pen out and just and just mark it off, um, and then keep an eye on it, educate the person to if it gets past the certain point, then we will go down the antibiotic line. I remember a couple of years ago we were looking after a chap who was uh, rode from New York to Falmouth. And he got an infection in his foot within about five days, a week in. Um, and he was fresh and uh, he was strong. So we chose to go down there, just mark it with a Sharpie, good foot care. Um, again, it was, it was back to the foot thing, he, foot management, dry feet, fungal powder, went to bed every night. And the, 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 the infection never got past the Sharpie marker. But within when he got back sort of he wrote i can't tell you six weeks he then he was he had a similar problem and we then chose to go down the antibiotic line then because he was worn out he was he'd been rowing for the last six weeks so he hadn't got the reserves to fight the infection that he did at, at, at the start and again you've got to look at the antibiotics how many have you got have you have you got one course with you have you got two courses with you it's yeah it's things to to juggle around in 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 the thought process of like where you are again if we uh, if this infection goes wrong where are we where's help 
do we need to get that person to somewhere so help can get to them? Whether that be by road, by river, by plane. And, and, these, and all these things are weather dependent and rescue, evacuation, it all needs to be played into our mind. Again, simple things done well work but if we don't do the simple things well the potential of a say something that could easily be seen sorted and dealt with go wrong could end up leading to a multi-thousand pound rescue so again it's do we treat early antibiotics do we not it's got to take these things into consider i don't think there's any right or wrong answer but there's things that when you're hospital based and then no longer hospital based these are things to to take into consideration and again with dressings there's a lot of simple dressings i like that the opsite for example you've got a cling film a sort of sort of cling film edge with a, a square dressing in the middle now you can say to someone We've cleaned it, we've sorted it out, we've closed the wound, and we've put an offsite on it. But if anything appears outside of this dressing, you need to come back. Now, they're great addressing it in our everyday climate. However, if you're in the jungle where it's hot and sweaty, and you, these, these, these dressings don't stick to the skin at all, so you end up going down the old-fashioned sort of old-fashioned, but the non-adherent dressing with a toe-to-knee bandage or wrist-to-joint because you should be bandaging from joint to joint. Now, if you do that, you need to probably on daily basis roll down that bandage to make sure that you've got no ascending lymphangitis because potential by the time you find it, it could be halfway up a, a, a limb. Um, but by that time, you, you'd have thought that pain would have kicked in the patient should know but but part of you as a practitioner should be educating your patient at the same time ben could i get you to speak to uh, abrasions abrasions can be super painful especially large ones um what, what's your approach to large painful abrasions so in in, in yorkshire they call it taking the bark off I've taken bark off so the bark is your, is your skin. And it's really common with sort of these days with, with cyclists, um, road rash or gravel rash. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's super painful. It takes a lot of sort of superficial layering of the skin off. But when you tend to come off, um, say, for example, a mountain bike, um, you end up, as you, as you slide down the, the, the dirty surface, you're forcing dirt into a wound and potentially not just dirt, but stones as well. Um, so you end up with a large wound that's potentially got dirt inside of it, uh, foreign bodies. Um, so cleaning it is something, something that takes time and that might involve putting some local anesthetic in all over the, the wound or some people talk about using um, uh, lignocaine gel and smearing it over a wound to start with um, and before we start using like maybe a surgical brush um, to remove the dirt. And again, like we said before, it's the solution to pollution is dilution, so lots and lots of warm soapy water. Uh, but, or if, if you've got, you know, or if it's a, on a leg wound, it's in, in, in the bath and just to, to clean it. And if you haven't got a surgical brush because you're on a, you're on a, say, you're on a, a, a cycle from uh, a Cotton cycle expedition type thing is the, it's from one side of Costa Rica to the other, yeah, a, a clean toothbrush just to just to put a little bit of pressure just to make sure there's plenty of time is spent to remove as much as the dirt as possible, and especially the larger chunks of stone, because if not, you end up, the skin grows over and you end up with the, but tattooing, which is basically where you've got black marks in amongst the the, the, the skin um there's a uh, it's a, it's a pl potentially planning so if you're going as a medic on a on a cycle trip common things are common so expect gravel rash as part of your potential injury that you're going to be treating 
where you may not be treating gravel rash. You're not going to treat gravel rash on a, on a polar trip, for example. Um, so having some flamazine with you. So flamazine is like a wet, sort of a white paste that you can leave on a wound and leave it on for 24, 36 hours and then wash it off. And that, that flamazine will help lift out any, um, any dirt. And then putting on a, a good... The right dressing for the would be something maybe Silflex or Ergotool, um, something that can stay on for a good sort of four or five days. Really, we talk about dressing changes on a daily basis, which is great if you've got a hospital, but if you're limited supplies, you can't do things on a daily basis. And when you change something on a daily basis, you often remove the fresh granulated skin anyway. So, with things like Ergotule and Silflex, they're, they're two fantastic dressings. That would be my sort of Swiss Army knife of dressings. If I'm going to take one dressing on a trip, I'm going to probably take one of those. And you can leave it on for several days. But also, they're, they're very clever dressings that you can actually wash a wound through them. So you can leave the, 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 the dressing on and you can then just pour water over it just to, to keep it, it clean. But it allows granulation to occur underneath um, whereas the old stuff the old-fashioned stuff that you use with gelinet if it's left on too long skin can actually impregnate through the gelinet and you might find that with uh, patients that don't really attend clinics for example um, you they, they come in they've got a problem you dress it and you say I want to see you next week at a certain time this patient may not turn up because they're just not focused um um they've got other things going on in their life um and they may represent six weeks later and by that time the, the skin's actually grown through and the the gelinet is impregnated into their into their wound which then becomes a, a further problem but with the things going back to cycling events is being able to dress a knee or an elbow so you can still continue your trip. Um, so can, if you've got a big grazed gravel rash on both knees, being able to dress it properly so that person can still cycle, being able to dress an elbow so that the wound can still the, the elbow joint can still bend. Because if you're not, that potential you've got to either carry that person out that person has gone from cycling, which is quite fast, to then walking, which changes the group's dynamics which changes the human factors of your, of your expedition. And the simple things like if you, I remember seeing a, a, a junior uh, practitioner um, dress an elbow, had gravel rash down both elbows, and this person had been, they'd been cleaned and the, 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 the elbows had been dressed, um, but they couldn't bend their arms. So when that person left the department, they were sort of, sort of a bit robotic. And they were, they were unable to flex their arms at the joint because of the bandaging was so tight, which then potentially can lead on to, if you can't bend your joints, leads on to that person can't, their activities of daily living can't be achieved. So brushing the teeth, eating, dressing, wiping the bum, it's all problematic. So having that ability to think about where the wound is, how we're going to dress it, and that person able to continue with the event or their activities of daily living because potentially that problem will come back to you in the long run and also being able to use a joint you don't want the joint stiffening up causes again the the whole sort of circle of wound care you need movement you need air you need joint space etc etc all becomes a big problem from not treating the little problem, which needs, again, time. Ben, can you speak to blisters? Um, the, the common adage uh, is that you, you know blisters can be trip-ending if they're not dealt with early. But could you could I get you to speak to what you do for blisters uh, in the field? So blisters is a is a triad of friction, moisture, and heat, basically. Um, and again, it's having the right footwear for the job, spending time in the, those footwear before going away on a, on a trip. And if you're an expedition medic, um, 
it's, but it's also part of education, doing a pre-chat with your expedition about base about treating the hotspots. So as soon as you get you you get a hotspot, which is the uh, where you think you're getting this the friction starting, you get a bit of a warm spot on your foot. It's about basically stopping and treating it pretty much there and then. Um, and that hot spot might just need um, just potentially your socks just adjusting a bit. There might be a, a ruck in the sock. You might just need your boots loosening off or tightening up. But it and it just potentially having some tape just put over it or a a, a compede because it's at the, the time the hot the, this there's no fluid built up there. It's, we've just got a bit of friction. So putting a, a, a compede over that. Um, and applying tape, but before doing that, make sure the feet are dry because tape's not going to stick to a dry to a wet foot. The compede's not going to stick to a wet foot. So clean the clean the foot, make sure it's dry. Apply a say a, a, a compede um, dressing over it, and then apply tape. With the tape, the probably use some like KT tape because it's got lots of other uses. Is using a pair of scissors to cut the tape, not to tear it. Because when you tear tape, you often get these fibers that appear and they get stuck in the sock when you put the sock back on and then that lifts the dressing off. So over tape, but cut the tape, try and cut the, the tape into a, cut this, the uh, the sharp angles out of the, out of the tape. So cut, so cut the, um, the corners, apply the, the tape, over the obviously over the, the the compede and make sure it's well secure and then like roll the sock on don't put the sock on like you would with welly roll the sock up and put it on gently and that for it there's less chance of it disturbing the dressing but if you have got a blister then there's fluid already there the, a fluid based dressing isn't is too late so you're putting fluid on fluid, and if you've had a pair of ski boots fitted or a pair of mountain boots fitted, you're potentially not going to get them on if you've got too much of a dressing. So in that way, I tend to use a sterile needle and just pop the, the blister, drain it, and maybe a, a needle and thread and just leave a bit of um, thread through the blister so you pop in the needle on one side pull it out the other side cut the thread and that acts as a as a, a wick so it drains the fluid off then maybe put some mole skin over the top or some just K, kt tape directly onto it um and that allows the dress the the, the blister the, it's mother nature's sort of cover skin to just fall back onto the blistered area but then we're then protecting it with a, some nice moleskin or some or some KT tape. Um, having a blister management kit near the surface because they common things are common, and you're pretty much guaranteed to get blisters within the first sort of uh, couple of days of of, of a trip. Um, and having a, a little supply ready so you know in there you've got KT tape, you've got compede, you've got a pair of scissors. You've got um, a needle and thread. You've got some mole skin. So you've got all your stuff. So it's all there, labelled up, blister kits. So you haven't got to rummage around for it. There's a couple of, um, obviously, the British Mountaineering Council, their website has an interesting uh, take on, on on blister management. Or um, one of the World Extreme Medicine doctors, she's got a fantastic uh, bit on her blog site, Dr. Hannah Locke. I've never met Hannah. Um, I know of her. Um, but on her um, her blog, she has a really, really probably the best actual blister management um, write up that I've 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 seen, um, and it has made me change my practice. Um, but yeah, it's 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 again it's education, and spending time treating it properly. And once you you've put this stuff on, as you. Is leaving it on, whereas often when you do events, the people if they're on a day-to-day -day trip, they will sort of have a shower and they'll take it all off, and you're back to square one again. And I think once you put your blister management stuff on, it stays on, and you and you educate them to leave it on, unless you start getting pain 
redness, swelling, potential signs of infection, and we're removing it all and starting from scratch and then potentially treating the, the infection. Ben, but just before we come into land, actually, could I get you to speak to sprains and strains because they are commonplace on expedition and they do occur frequently. Uh, what's your approach either pre-hospitally on a, on a SAR search and rescue um, incident or indeed on expedition? So sprains are twists of ligaments um, that have been stretched too far and a strain is injury of the muscle or the tendon. I go down the when on assessing the the, the limb um, is a look, feel, move. Um, is there any swelling, any heat, any deformity, any bruising? Um, and yeah, the, 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 the once I've done that is the look, feel, move. Having some knowledge of the Ottawa ankle rules, the Ottawa knee rules, the, the Nexus rules is, is, is good. However, I have seen in my ye- years of practicing, I have seen people who have been Ottawa negative or been dying, been in their notes, it's Ottawa negative, been Ottawa, Ottawa positive. That the x ray has proved that who was that person was has got a fracture. Now, you're not going to have an x ray machine with you on an expedition um but that sort of having that background knowledge of the ottawa ankle reels is is useful um it's analgesia um splinting good old-fashioned crepe bandage um using of walking poles um reducing weight in in the person if if they're carrying a rucksack reducing their weight can we put in some rest days? We're going on the rest days. We're going to then elevate it. Again, it depends where we are, what we're going to do. We want that person ideally to carry their themselves out because suddenly if one person at, for example, 12 stone, then needs carrying out a rescue team, that means a one stretcher and minimal of six people on a stretcher, ideally eight on a stretcher. Now, if you're in the middle of a jungle, that's a hard work. If you're on a, a, a narrow mountain pass, that's hard work. So, yeah, the mechanism of injury is key. That will often tell you your, your diagnosis. Good examination, plenty of analgesia on board, having an understanding of potential what over over time and an examination uh, examining wrists and elbows and shoulders and knees and ankles you get to feel for what potentially could be the problem here um and what are the what have you got with you that you can deal with this can we deal with this and it may be the fact that that person is going to have to continue walking out if not it's if in doubt, ship them out. And that, again, depends where you are, what resources you've got available to what kind of sort of rescue that needs to undertake. But I think, again, it, sometimes with these things, you, we've often seen that injury that's that's limped into the department, had no analgesia. You've given them some analgesia and they walk out two or three hours later with a pair of crutches. Now, you don't have a pair of crutches but you might have a pair of ski poles. You might have some walking poles with you. We had a, a, a client down in uh, Antarctica. We ended up making some crutches out of some bamboo that was from the, the let me think, the frame, the flags that were that we were using to mark out a runway for the American ski 130s. And there was some excess bamboo that were on these flags and so we made the, the, this client um, a pair of crutches so he could get around the camp um, with his broken broken leg. Ben, as we're coming into land on the, on the conversation, could I just get to speak to some take-home messages for listeners that you'd like to mention just around some of the fundamentals of good wound care? Um, I think... <laughs> For me, it's for spending time with, um, if you're going out as a, 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 a medic and you're not familiar with sort of the kind of stuff that emerging nurse practitioners use, a lot of this, this stuff is minor injuries. Uh, minor injuries 
a lot of these days is taken over by emergency nurse practitioners or advanced nurse practitioners in, a, in an ED. So it becomes a de-skilling of, of potential junior doctors. Um, so spending time in an, in an A&E or minor injuries unit with emergency nurse practitioners and upskilling yourself, asking their questions, what does this do? What can I use this for? Is this, do I, do I need to take this or this? Or what, what would be your your sort of Swiss army knife of, 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 of addressings? Um, some good books out there. There's always the uh, the Expedition Wilderness Medicine Handbook written by the World Extreme Medicine Faculty uh, or the Oxford Handbook. Um, going back to the feet one, there's a fantastic book by Wilderness Press called Fixing Your Feet. Um, there's uh, what other great books? So there's a fantastic one written by the Swiss uh, mountaineering um board like, like the swiss equivalent of the british mountain rescue council um but in general most people these days will have a smartphone with them um so if you've got, if you've got a wound doing a di- photo diary of the wound on a daily basis so you've got something to compare to um don't be afraid to ask a friend so if you've got photographs and you've got some sort of either wi-fi coverage or some uh, phone coverage or you've got a satellite link send some image if you're not sure send some images back to a friend who you've said i'm going away on a trip i'm going to be away for six weeks do you mind being on call for me or allocate three or four friends and i've had that several times um i got a a message last year from a a friend who was out in africa i think he was and they got some someone got drunk and ended up with some significant burns to an arm what would you do in this situation um if you um but if they say so uh, don't be afraid to ask a friend photo diaries if in doubt ship out um yeah just spending time with it within a minor injuries unit is great common things are common and sometimes some of the simple things like elastoplasts are often missed out of med kits some form of evacuation some like stretcher or small poncho style um stretchers missed out of a out of a med kit we are very good at i mean i've been on many a wem course with with yourself and people are asking for elastoplast and yeah, the, the room's full of hems medics or military medics of all walks of life and they've all got chest strains in the cabc kit but often the simple things are what we use on a regular basis that get missed like a simple elastoplast um yeah there's 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 quite a, there's a lot out there but emergency department procedures um is another good book um but in general doing the basics well is key and spending time um thinking about what have we got here let's spend some time dressing it properly rather than rushing or do we need to Put a simple dress on it, move on to we've got some better light, better situation, dress it properly, and um, and hopefully, fingers crossed, that person will continue their 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 expedition or or or, or go home from wherever they are um, and have no problems, but also reiterating to your patient. If you get any problems like heat, pain, swelling, red line coming up your arm, come back earlier rather than, especially earlier if you're in the middle of the jungle or wherever. And but for me, if you're working from a clinic anywhere in the world, is to say to, to signpost them to come back within forty-eight hours, a week, two weeks, um, and have that. Um, fallback mechanism. Ben, that's fantastic. And I think that's really holistic um, from everything you mentioned there around doing the basics well to to uh, to phoning a friend to indeed um, shipping out early. But um, it certainly is the prerequisite of, of all good wound care is doing the basics well and the fundamental tenets of self-care. So listen, thank you for your time today. I really do appreciate it. And uh, we'll put some useful links in the show notes to the books that you mentioned. But um, thank you, Ben.
All right, we've got two, just two more seconds. So if you my summary over here is treat the environment, so bothies before bandages, stepwise approach, basic interventions normally work well, don't underestimate blood loss, pharmacological steps and practical steps, and putting med kits together. Uh, Jack Kindler, lovely lad from London who used to uh, run the, the Diploma Mountain Medicine. He had, when it comes to med kits, the four L's, which was legal, low cost, light, and lots of uses. Um, but with every patient, as I've always said, it, even on a daily basis, so good food, hydration, and, and, and fresh air. Um, and don't sometimes allow fresh air to get to wounds. We often want to put a dressing on it when actually sunshine, fresh air, allows the wound to sort of granulate rather than keeping on applying creams, dressings, and creams and dressings. Bit, bit of Yorkshire fresh air, mate. Fish and chips on a Friday and oodles of Yorkshire tea. That sounds good to me, Ben. It sounds good to me. And uh, it certainly uh, does the population of Yorkshire good as well. But listen, thanks for your uh, time today. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to the episode. Please feel free to rate, review and subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to. Please also head over to the World Extreme Medicine website where you can find more engaging content on extreme medicine webinars and indeed the collection of courses from our global network, including humanitarian, disaster relief, expedition, space, military, tactical and performance medicine. Thanks again.